Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on The Muppets, the new Muppet movie. It is called The Muppets, not The Muppet Movie or anything like that, right? That's a great, that's a great question. Yeah, I think, I it's think so, as opposed to The Muppet Movie, the very, very first, right. back from 79 or something like that. Um, so here with me in the studio, as you hear, is John Swansburg. Hey, John. Hey, Dana. You are Slate's culture editor. I am. And you also just rolled out of this movie. We got to do a same-day spoiler, which I love to do. And you yes. have a little bit of the energy of the movie still in your head. And some so, of the songs still in my head. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I definitely have that opening and closing song still in my head. So before we get to spoiling, overall reaction. I really like the movie. I feel like Jason Siegel is a is a is clearly a huge fan of the Muppets. We, we learned this, or I learned this for the first time in uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, where he staged that uh, wonderful uh, kind of puppet opera at the end of the movie. The vampire puppet opera. The vampire <laughs> puppet opera. And I thought his enthusiasm and admiration for, for puppetry and affection clearly for specifically the old Muppets TV show really kind of shines through in this movie. And as such, it was it was a pleasure. Yeah, we walked in both fearing that it might desecrate the Muppets and that it, it definitely doesn't do. No, it's, it's very much a movie that's paying homage, I think, to the Muppets. I think arguably maybe that it's at times too much so and that takes away some of its some of its energy. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, I would also say, my, I mean, I guess just as an overall reaction, I don't know that this is a new classic for the ages. I don't think it's like one of the Pixar movies that kids will be watching in 25 years necessarily. No. In fact, there's a uh, the movie opens with a with one of those great Pixar shorts. And in a way... A Toy Story short, right? Yeah. It's a Toy Story short that kind of picks up where the final Toy Story movie left off, or at least it has like, the young girl from the last... Bonnie, uh, right? The girl yeah. who inherits the toys. Exactly. And, uh, and in some ways, starting with a Pixar short, is a, that's a tough act to follow, and it does, it does invite that comparison that you just made and, and yeah I'm not sure that, that this movie you know measures up with a, with a Pixar classic but it's a, it's a lot of fun and certainly for people who are fans of the Muppets and who've missed the Muppets I think I think they'll enjoy it it's, it does a very good job of creating a movie that's enjoyable for I think probably ideally an eight or nine year old but also for those of us who were maybe eight or nine when, when the Muppets were on TV uh, or, or a little bit younger a little bit older and have nostalgia for them yeah and maybe and could go a little bit younger than that as well although a younger kid might not get every plot detail there's right. certainly enough Muppety fun that they would enjoy it too. yeah they don't need to realize that there's you know the, the villain is interested in uh, seizing title to the old Muppets uh, theater uh, in order to strike uh, oil I think some of the gags will work regardless yeah they just need to know he's the bad guy exactly so let's lock through how, how we get ourselves back into Muppet land. This movie starts off with this kind of strange conceptual, never really fully explained highly conceptual idea, right? Right. Which is that we see a montage of Jason Siegel as a boy growing up with who he calls his brother, Walter, right? But Walter is... Is a Muppet. Right. Yeah, and so, so, so how is it that we keep waiting to see what the relationship between flesh and blood beings and, and felt and, and cloth <laughs> beings is going to be in this world? And it's never really explained why Jason Siegel has a Muppet brother, which I think is kind of great. I think that was great. I thought it was a really uh, funny conceit yeah, I think both of us were waiting to see what his parents look like. For yeah, example, <laughs> exactly was it one Muppet and one human? Um, or was some of their some... families objected to the cloth flesh? <laughs> yeah, marriage. was was, uh, was Walter adopted? Uh, it's not. It's never clear. But we, there's no other person in the world that we see who is a puppet but not a Muppet. Is that, if that makes sense, you know, there there are the Muppets who are obviously made of, of felt, and then there is Walter who lives in the kind of people world. But is made of felt, and there's never, there's never, we don't see any other examples of, of kind of non Muppets out in the world. It is a weird notion, but I like that they didn't spend any time trying to explain it. And and of course, part of the movie is about Walter finally meeting the Muppets and realizing that he belongs among the Muppets. That he's right, he's found, found his, his people, co- his people, his calling. That ending sort of you know makes the lack of explanation at the beginning kind of. 
work at all. And it also enables this great song that we'll talk about later, Am I a Man or a Muppet? Exactly. A Muppet or a Man? <laughs> exactly. So as the movie begins, Jason Siegel, who's grown up with Walter, his brother Muppet, is now a grown man, but he sort of lives like a kid. He sleeps in his plaid pajamas in a twin bed next to the twin bed that Walter sleeps in. Right. And, uh, you know, they're both sort of very innocent, happy guys. And they wake up one morning and Jason Siegel announces, his character's name is Gary. Gary announces that he's going to take his girlfriend, Mary, played by Amy Adams, to Los Angeles for their 10-year anniversary. Right. It's 10 years they've been dating at the end the arrested development of the character is completely implied in that that notion, right? That he's right. still sleeping in his twin bed in pajamas 10 years into dating this woman. And uh, and so they, they head off to Los Angeles together with Walter in tow, promising that they're going to take him on a tour of the old Muppet Studios. Right. And they get to the Muppet Studios and Walter's all excited. He's going to get to see the Muppets and see this, this kind of grand space where they would perform the show. And, of course, they get there and there are cobwebs everywhere. There's barely – and there's no other uh, fans except for a couple of Japanese tourists who think that they're at the Universal Studios. The place is very decrepit and we find out that the Muppets have kind of disbanded and that no one sort of even knows where they are. Right. And – through a sort of somewhat silly contrivance, Walter then overhears the plot of the dastardly uh, villain played by Chris Cooper, which is that he wants to buy the old Muppet Theater because he's found out that this this plot of land in downtown Los Angeles, as far as I can tell, is right on top of a huge oil reserve. Uh, and so he's plotting to uh, buy the, the theater on the pretense that he's going to turn it into a Muppet museum. But in fact, he reveals to his uh, his dastardly sidekicks. Who are actually puppets. So that, that comes to contradict oh, your story that's a good from point. before, right? Chris yeah, yeah. Cooper's two sidekicks are two, two evil Muppets. Yeah, I can't believe I didn't, that didn't occur to me. Yeah, so, so I guess, yeah, in this universe, it is the, the case that, that puppets and people live alongside each other. Right. And, and it's weird because Walter is a like human-looking puppet, but Chris Cooper's sidekicks are, are sort of monster one's guys. a bear and then one's just kind of like a nondescript monster with like weird like facial tentacles and like fangs fangs <laughs> yeah he's kind of awesome so anyway his plan is to uh, is to buy the the muppet theater and knock it down and, and build an oil rig in the middle of downtown los angeles so walter then realizes that it's his calling to save the Muppet Theater. I actually love the gag of Walter's reaction. It's so dumb. But the <laughs> gag is just that he starts screaming in horror and doesn't stop screaming for essentially the entire afternoon. Right. So like, you see Walter running out screaming in horror. Then you see him sitting on a bus with Jason Siegel and Amy Adams right. still screaming. Going back, back the to the motel, hotel, still <laughs> screaming. <laughs> yeah, at one point Jason Siegel just puts his hands in his ears and it's like, you know, they're just kind of waiting out this tantrum. So anyway, there's a clause in the contract that uh, Chris Cooper is, look, is looking over that I guess is like essentially the deed to the Muppet Theater that says if the Muppets can raise $10 million, then they can make a counteroffer and I guess hold on to their theater. So the movie gets sort of set in motion. You know, it's a, sort of a classic get the gang back together uh, storyline. need to get all the Muppets back together, do one uh, big telethon, raise $10 million and thwart the villain's attempt to knock down the Muppet Theater. So the sort of the, the middle of the movie, the balance of the movie is, is kind of finding each of the of the Muppet characters. And we probably don't see one of the classic Muppets until what twenty minutes into the movie or so. A couple yeah, of musical least. numbers in already. Yeah, um, the first the first one we see is is Kermit. They they kind of search uh, Los Angeles for for Kermit, and Kermit's kind of living in this uh, decrepit mansion uh, that I guess full of oil paintings. Full of, of oil his former paint- colleagues. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, apparently, I think we learned later that Miss Piggy bought that house for him. Is that? Did I you guess yeah. That, that was supposed to be Kermit and Piggy's house together. Yeah, right? they clearly were supposed to be, have been. I, I forgot this detail. Were they supposed to be married at the? end of one of the previous movies? Yeah, did they, they must have gotten married or it was implied that they were going to in one of the previous movies. Right. I'm just too old. I can't remember the movies I can't anymore. remember either. But there's a great kind of Sunset Boulevard feel to the to the Kermit scenes where like you see this this kind of former star who's in his faded glory. He feels a little bit like the Muppets' day has passed and he's not famous enough anymore to, to get the gang back together and, and well, do In a general, show. I would say the production design is one of the stars of the movie. It's pretty great, right? Yeah. I mean, from the costumes down to 
the way the old theater looks, that both when it's decrepit and when they refurbish it again. And that's and indeed the scene where we where Kermit sort of has his change of heart. He's sort of singing about how the Muppets' best days are behind them, and he doesn't think that they can get together again. And he's sort of singing it to these oil paintings of his buddies, and the oil paintings come alive, and the and like Fozzie and Animal and and some of the other characters start singing along as paintings and they kind of turn back into paintings it's sort of an interesting moment I thought that was one of the weaker numbers though I have to say we should talk about as the a songs number, in a bit yeah I like the production I, li- I like the visuals but I think as a number it was not it was not the best song anyway so Walter uh, of course convinces Kermit that, that this is doable and that it's it's Kermit's duty to, to go on the road and find all the other folks and so they they kind of go place to place and they find uh, the Muppets in a series of different sort of second lives and, that, and that, that's kind of funny Fozzie's doing like a, a sort of stand up in Reno isn't it more like it's almost like he's in a Muppet tribute band isn't that right. what it's called <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Right. I mean the Muppets. essentially it's, 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 it's a great sort of joke on the afterlife of the Muppets which which gets becomes important to the plot later on right. which is that there's this knockoff group called the Muppets that's sort of like the, the evil Muppets, right? Right. There's like a Miss Piggy lookalike, but she's like a really like surly, ugly pig. And then there's someone who looks – there was a Ralph who looks a lot like Ralph. In fact, I thought it was Ralph when I first saw him, but it turns out it's not. And then they, you know, then they go in this long kind of montage where they find other other Muppets. Miss Piggy is is an editor at uh, Vogue Paris, which I thought was kind of a she's great the plus detail. size editor. She's yeah, the that's plus awesome. Size editor. And so I think we both felt a little bit like that section was fun, but maybe a little longer than it needed to be. Like there's a there's a long section where we're sort of finding. You know, where's Gonzo? Oh, Gonzo is the head of a plumbing company. Like, That's even acknowledged at one moment when uh, when somebody suggests, hey, why don't we do a montage to, to right. round up the rest? And that actually points to another thing I wanted to talk about in the movie, which is that there's a lot of self-referential we're in a movie jokes. Yeah. Some of which are great and some of which I think fall a little bit flat. I think there's just too many of them. Yeah, I thought there were too many. I actually jotted a note to myself at one point that I was like, you know, too many of these things. I mean, sometimes it's really – it can be really amusing. And, and my memory was that there was a lot of that in the original television show and, and some of the original movies. But it felt like they were maybe pushing it a little, a little too far. Well, uh, the conceit of the show being aware that it's a show makes complete sense because the show took place on a proscenium stage in front of an audience, right? Right. right. Whereas it does so- somewhat take you out of the story to have the constant acknowledgement that, that it's a movie. Although I did love one line late in the movie when Jason Siegel is professing his love to Amy Adams. He says, come on, I just sang a song about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really good. There's another thing, too, with it, sort of towards the end of the road trip to get the Muppets back together where they're like, at some point, they're like really far away from getting back to Los Angeles. And they're like, how are we going to get there in time? And then someone has the idea of like, how about we travel by map? And then they have like, they have the classic sort of, you know, shot of the car traveling over the <laughs> over a map. And then, you know, lo and behold, the all the Muppets who were in Kansas one second are now all of a sudden in Los Angeles. And we thought maybe that came from an earlier movie as well. That yeah, it's definitely, right? yeah, definitely seen it in, in uh, well, it was certainly in another earlier Muppet movie and, and other movies uh, historically. But it was, that was, I thought, worked because it was kind of goofing on a, a film trope. It wasn't just purely calling attention to, like, we're in a movie here, guys. So that one I thought was okay. So I don't know if you'd agree with me, but I mean, even though this is a movie about the Muppets and the Muppets spend a lot of time, there's moments when Jason Siegel disappears for long periods of time and we're just interacting with the, with the various Muppets. I think that Jason Siegel's sort of the animating spirit of this movie. So I think we should talk about him a little yeah. bit. He co-wrote the movie as well. I think it's important to note. He co-wrote it with Nicholas Stoller, who actually directed him in Get Him to the Greek, mm-hmm. a movie that overall I didn't like that much, but I did love the musical numbers with Jason Siegel in it. So I think when it comes to Nicholas Stoller, Jason Siegel, and music, something something good happens. Yeah, absolutely. I... Um... 
it's funny. I mean, I really like Jason Siegel going back to my How I Met Your Mother um, fandom. And back to Freaks and Geeks. Come and, on. And Freaks and Geeks. And uh, and I've just – I've liked him. You know, even I Love You, Man. Like, I, you know, I uh, I enjoyed in part – large part because of my affection for him. I think he was great in this movie. It, we, we were discussing on the subway ride back from seeing the movie that he's not exactly the best song and dance man out there. I mean, some of the dance numbers uh, that well, he does – Well, I think he can put over a song very, very well. Yeah, actually. sure. He's the not songs, exactly a singer. But yeah, no, he's fine. Like he's the vocals are, are fine. It's, just, it's kind of funny to watch some of the dance moves. Like, oh, the dance was. I mean, it was really clear, even for an actor who's not a dancer, that they were really filming around his inability to dance. There's some moments where essentially all he had to sort of do was move decently, and he right. just wasn't really doing it. But I found that kind of endearing. I mean, he's lumbering Jason Siegel. Yeah, it's sweet. no, I agree. I thought it, I thought it worked. Um, Amy Adams, on the other hand, can can really pull off its song and dance. Yeah, she was. She's she was, the Julie Andrews of our time. Isn't yeah, she, she was perfectly cast in this movie. And I think there was one number that we both really liked that you mentioned earlier, which is a, a sort of a, comes at a crucial juncture and really kind of encapsulates the themes of this of this movie. The sort of theme the song is um, theme of the song is uh, "Am I a Man or a Muppet?" And it's um, sung jointly, right, in two different places. We're cutting in between Jason Siegel singing it to his reflection, which right. is a Muppet in the reflection, a Muppet <laughs> right. of him, and Walter singing it to his reflection, which is a man in the right. reflection. Right, and the man is played by Jim Parsons from Big Bang Theory, who's a uh, it's a one of one of many fun cameos. In the movie, uh, a bunch of other people show up, like Feist and Jack Black. But uh, I thought Parsons was a really good choice. And there's one great scene where <laughs> uh, Siegel and his Muppet are like all dressed in white tuxedos and are playing at the piano. And then there's a piano right on the other side of them, and it's Walter and Jim Parsons playing on a white at a, a white piano in white tuxedos. And of course, Walter is trying to decide whether he's a, a Muppet or a man, and he decides he's actually a Muppet. But you know, Jason Siegel has grown up with Walter, has always loved the Muppets also, and he's trying to decide: Am I a Muppet or a man? And he decides: I'm a man. And and for him, deciding that he's a man means that he has to make a commitment to the Amy Adams character and not and sort of distance himself a little bit from his Muppet obsessed brother. And it's a really sweet song. It's a it's a kind of song that moves along the the plot. And uh, I thought it was great. Yeah, that is. I think maybe the musical high point of the movie. Yeah, I think that's actually Jason Siegel co-wrote that song as well. As for the Muppet characters, now that both Jim Henson and Frank Oz are gone, it's sort of strange to hear the Muppet voices. They managed to find people who do a pretty good Kermit and, and Miss Piggy voice. And, and as was the case with Frank Oz, the same person voices Fozzie Bear and Miss Piggy and a number of other characters. And the same different guy voices Kermit the Frog. I think Beaker is another one of mm-hmm. his voices. So the, the voices are grouped in that way. And I think the voices and the spirit of the Muppets is really well done. But I see the point of view of people who say there is no more Muppets without Jim Henson and that he was so the guiding voice of it that it's just there's something wrong without him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I found it most jarring with Kermit. I think the Kermit voice is really different. And I got used to it, but at the beginning I said, "Wow, that doesn't sound that doesn't sound like Kermit to me." And it, it was interesting the degree to which you kind of get used to the new the new Kermit. I was sort of, I thought that Piggy was was harder to distinguish. I thought Fozzie sounded great. So it bothered me a little bit less with some of the other other characters, but for Kermit, who obviously is is at the center of this movie as he's always at the center, it was it was a little jarring at first. But I was able to get past it and, and and indeed once they get to the climax of the of the movie where they're putting on this telethon and essentially you're kind of watching an episode of the old muppet show I mean, it's, it takes on the kind of variety show feeling of the of the old muppet show one of the numbers that they do is rainbow connection and i thought that rendition of rainbow connection sounded very similar to the original or close enough that i, I wasn't i didn't feel like it, again it was 
being desecrated or stomped upon, it felt like a nice homage to the original. And then all the other Muppets kind of join in. And Yeah, that's know. the moment. That's the tear-jerking moment for Muppet fans, right? Yeah. That's kind of like the money shot for the Muppet fans right, right there. It's just all of them on the proscenium stage with the red velvet curtain, with Statler and Waldorf making snarky comments and singing The Rainbow Connection. Right. Funnily enough, the music has this strange combination of, like, jukebox musical. I mean, okay, nostalgic moment where they sing the actual old song associated with the Muppets. Then, like, a moment when they all clean up the theater and refurbish it to the to the strains of We Built This City on Rock and Roll. I was surprised by that, that they didn't, they didn't do an original number there. I wondered if like they just ran out of time or if they always decided to do it. Yeah, I mean, that, that sort of worked as, as a fun montage, but it was a strange combination where you didn't know if there was going to be an original Stoller Siegel right. song or some kind of Harkback song or just like a rock and roll classic. It was, it was a little bit of a jumble, the musical score. Yeah. So they, yeah. So they managed to almost earn their $10 million, right? Right. Well, they get up to $9,999,000, but then at one point Fozzie bangs his head against the the ticker that they have that's sort of showing how much money they've earned and it turns out like the decimal place was bulb was out so it turns out they've actually only <laughs> only raised ninety nine thousand dollars. So they're actually they think they're like one dollar away from from doing it, and yet they still haven't made it because they have to do it by midnight. But then Fozzie bangs his head against the the scoreboard, essentially, you know, in resent and and you know being resigned to having not made their money. And it turns out they actually weren't even close. But that turns out not to be the deciding factor because. Um, Chris Cooper basically turns from evil to uh, to good after getting bonked on the head. Right, because Gonzo <laughs> bowls a bowling ball at his head, right? And that, that was right. a nice wrap-up for the villain, is that instead of, obviously, they're not going to kill off the villain in a right. Muppet movie, right? And instead of having him even sort of linger on as a, as a bad guy who's been vanquished, they just have Gonzo throw a bowling ball at his head, and the, the brain damage makes him into a nice guy. Yeah, and, and one of the f- funny details is that throughout the movie... Uh, the, the sort of the scenes with Chris Cooper have tended to end with him saying maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh, because he's sort of incapable of laughter himself. That's how sort of sickened his soul is. He's making his minions maniacally laugh. Exactly, for him. and um, and then we see him in the end after being uh, hit with the bowling ball, <laughs> courtesy of Gonzo. Uh, he's actually sort of like laughing goofily to himself. And not only do we find that he's uh, he's been turned into a good guy, but he's a good guy who's capable of laughter. So so all is right with the uh, with the universe and the Muppets um, sort of regain. You know, at first when they when they telethon goes on the air, no one's watching. There's not even anyone in the in the live audience except for Zach Galifianakis, uh, who's playing kind of like a, a bum who's wandered into uh, or a hobo who's wandered into the show. And over the course of the telethon, people start tuning in, and at the end of the movie, the Muppets uh, are famous again. And obviously, I mean, that plot kind of I think dovetails with with what Jason Siegel I think hopes uh, for the Muppets in our real world. It's obvious that he felt like the Muppets had sort of fallen out of mainstream American popular culture, and he wants to bring them back. And that's that's the the plot of the movie. It'll be interesting to see if that happens in real life. Yeah, I wonder is there actual hopes for a franchise, or is this just a one time nostalgia hit kind of thing? Oh, I could see Jason Siegel going back to this back to this well, and I think this movie is going to do really really well in the box office. That's that's my bet. I think it's a great movie for this time of year for the the Thanksgiving uh, long weekend. Like I said before, I think it, it plays really well for kids and for adults. And I think it could be I think it could be big. So I, I would not be surprised at all if for no other reason than because it's very successful that the studios try to get Siegel to do it again. They definitely were able to do this one without kind of coarsening and cheapening the franchise. But, yeah. you know, if this one does really, really major box office, then right. maybe Jason Siegel's going to find himself in a, a moral dilemma of, you right. know, is he going to stick with the Muppets yeah, even mu- if they've been misunderstood? <laughs> right. Muppets take Brooklyn or, you know, I don't know where you go from, from here. But um, I don't know. I mean, I felt like there, was enough, there were enough good ideas and energy that it doesn't seem impossible to me that there could be another Siegel-helmed Muppet movie. 
I would give another one a shot. I, I had a, I had enough fun at this one. Yeah, I definitely would too. All right. Well, John, thanks a lot for coming to the Muppets with me. Oh, it was very fun. It was. It was a blast. Our producer is Chris Wade. Our editor is Melanie McAfee, and the executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.